Welcome, everybody, to the next episode of the Cannabis Review. I am delighted to be joined on this episode by Erin Gorman-Kirk. Erin is the founding partner at Cannabis Government Strategies and has advised international clients on legal, maritime, trade, and political relations for over 25 years. Erin, um, thank you very much for joining the show. Thank you for having me. Very excited to be here. Delighted to have you on, a lady with a wealth of knowledge and information that hopefully we can bestow a bit to the audience um, do you want to give everybody just a quick overview of how you guys set up uh, Cannabis Government Strategies and your path to getting there? Certainly. Thank you. So I'm partnered with two of my brothers, Matthew and Patrick Gorman, and we are longtime Washingtonians. And I particularly am a big proponent of the plant. And I have been talking about it for probably 35 years now. And I finally convinced my brothers that we should do a little bit of lobbying and a little bit of white paper writing and just assist the states as they came on bringing their legislative frameworks. So it's been quite a journey, as you can imagine, with all the fractured states. But we are plugging along and lots happening this November. Amazing. Delighted to hear that. So I'm going to jump straight into the first topic, and that's the East Coast new markets. So I was doing a little bit of research, and I want you to tell me if these are all the states that are actually going to be considered the East Coast. So Rhode Island, Maine, New York, Pennsylvania, Connecticut, New Hampshire, Vermont, Massachusetts, New Jersey. Is Delaware in that list, or am I missing any? Delaware's in the list, but they're not doing anything currently. And so, generally speaking, we don't say Vermont and New Hampshire are East Coast, but for the purpose of this conversation, they are. Yes. Okay, perfect. So out of these uh, specific states on the East Coast, which one of these are you looking forward to seeing the most grow over the next few years? So being from Washington, D.C., I'm very excited about Maryland having the ballot initiative this November. And I know with their new governor, uh, who's a young gentleman, they'll be able to put out a pretty robust framework pretty quickly. But right now, the most exciting place for me on the East Coast is where I'm living in Connecticut because we've helped write some amazing laws here, some of which have embraced social equity, not as robustly as we'd like, but there's some good social equity components to the Connecticut statute. And also, we just finished our first round of lottery. We're actually waiting on a couple of, of announcements. But uh, for example, yesterday, some of the Section 149 cultivators were finally awarded after a bit of litigation, their licensing go ahead. So we are hoping to get a really robust supply chain here in Connecticut. And we're trying to tap into our legacy growers and bring them into the legitimate market and therefore get very good craft cannabis to the market rather than just going strictly MSOs. So Connecticut's really, I think, leading the forefront and should be to market sooner than New York, despite what people in New York may say. Okay, so Connecticut's the state to watch on the East Coast. You heard it here first. I'll keep my eyes on that. Um, can you see a scenario where we've got the West Coast at the moment? Is the West Coast at saturation and the East Coast is the new up and coming thing? Or is there still room for growth on the West Coast that uh, the East Coast has still got a number of years before it can turn over the time of billions that the West Coast is doing? It's a very good question because we're such a large country that with no interstate commerce, we are not allowed to, for example, to go between Washington and Oregon or Nevada and California. We can't transport anything across state lines. So that gives us a, a limited market situation. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, but I would say that California, despite all its issues, 
is still doing pretty well. Their governor, Governor Newsom, is a big proponent of cannabis and the taxation that it brings. It's, of course, their largest cash crop and they're the largest state in the union. But I would say that given that many of the states west of the Mississippi, for example, Wyoming, um, Idaho, they don't even, Nebraska, Idaho, Kansas, you can't even get CBD there. So those states towards the Midwest, West Coast are not very progressive at all. When you come to the East Coast, very progressive. We even have Florida, which is a major Republican um, stronghold, doing um, wonderful medical. And they're also going to bring eventually the adult use into the market. Uh, Maine is pretty much set. Uh, Massachusetts has a very robust system going. They've got amazing social equity individuals that I'm working with and and just love what they're doing up in Massachusetts. They still have a lot of taxation issues. You have to do host community agreements, which adds more layers to your business. So from a business standpoint, Massachusetts is still considered fairly expensive given the layers. New York is very interesting because they're allowing those who had been convicted of cannabis related crimes to have the first entry under what's called the CAURD system. So in that system, uh, New York is actually trying to find some of its buildings that are not being utilized and give them to the legacy individuals to then come to market. And this will give them a first market advantage. Um, it will give them a lot of economic resources, not just rent, but uh, build out. And that's a very unique, uh, that's a, a super unique program. Connecticut is trying to have a social equity um, fund. We've allocated 50 million, but we haven't sent any of it into the communities yet. So we are looking at New York and our governor, Governor Lamont, is very much interested in how Rhode Island, Vermont, excuse me, Rhode Island, um, Massachusetts, surrounding states are doing it, New York, New Jersey, and he takes his lead from them. What we've tried to do in our efforts is go to the legislature, go to the governor and say, you should be the leader. Don't wait for these other markets, get your social equity prime, let's go. You don't have to react, you should lead the way. And so I think our governor who's up for reelection is finally listening to our community. And we, we really hope that's the case. Amazing. Great information there. One of the topics I've been researching that I wanted to get your thoughts on that I know you know a bit about is the oversaturation in Oklahoma. Like some of the statistics when I actually started researching this were pretty crazy. One of the, the most notable ones that, that in Colorado to obtain a license, you have to be a million dollars liquid which means you have to have a million dollars in a bank account to be able to get into the industry. Whereas to be fully integrated in Oklahoma, it costs you $7,500. There's some massive discrepancies. Do you think it's it's the, the lack of red tape and bureaucracy that's created the situation in Oklahoma? And do you think it can be fixed pretty quickly? I do think it's the bureaucracy and it's unfortunate across all the states in our country. We just don't have regulators who are very in tune with cannabis. They don't understand, or hemp, frankly. They don't understand growth cycles, production cycles, community impacts, um, craft versus MSO. So yeah, I do think that we we really need to decide how, see, we have also no consistency. Each state is allowed to do what it wants. So with Oklahoma, they opened it up. Anyone could come in. They should have realized there's going to be a, a gold rush and that People were going to oversaturate the market. Um, <clears throat> same thing is even happening on Native American lands in New York that border Canada. In order to screw the United States, these entities are selling pounds for eighty dollars. 
I mean, should be between 2,500 and 3,200. So Oklahoma made the mistake of opening to anyone that would come with no, you could bring anything to market, whether you were bringing a good product or not. So not only did they oversaturate, they just had bad product. And like Canada, they couldn't sell most of it. So now they're going to try and, you know, they've put a cap. You can't have any new licenses. They're trying to put, you know, the horse back in the barn. We'll see what happens. All my investors have left the state of Oklahoma. They're all coming into New York, New Jersey, and Massachusetts right now. And Connecticut, of course. Um, Connecticut's actually got a lot more action. But people have left Oklahoma because they just didn't roll it out correctly. And that is one of the reasons, say, for example, that the East Coast states have had limited markets. In some states, you had to be all vertical. In our state, you cannot be vertical. In New York, you don't need to be vertical. So they've tried to reduce barriers to entry in those ways, the vertical versus the non-vertical, rather than just letting all comers. And they've also tried to have people with a good business background get those first licenses in New York and in Connecticut. Those that, even if they're legacy growers, who are professionals and they know the industry, they're being given a chance. Whereas in Oklahoma, everybody was given a chance, whether they were selling it out of the back of their car or from a legitimate farm. And that's just not the way I think it should be rolled out. And I think a lot of people feel that way. So it, it's not going to be mirrored in any other state, believe me. That's <laughs> not yeah. an example we want to follow. It's one of the things that we're trying to learn over in Ireland as we try and change the laws over here, that there's a certain cases that we can take good examples from and certain cases that we want to try and steer away from. And I think hopefully Oklahoma gets it right. But the next topic I wanted to move on to was the methodologies for achieving legalization. So I'm going to pretty much focus on Ireland with this uh, with this topic. I know you've got some Irish blood in you as well. You won't mind me uh, going into this, straight into the sector. So as it stands over in Ireland, we've basically got a medical cannabis access program. It's very limited for three diseases. The doctor needs to go via consultant to get permission to give the patient access. So it's very, uh, it's let's say the exact opposite of Oklahoma. It's as bar intense or as protective as could possibly be. When you're dealing with the government in new states like you work in, what are the best methods for, let's say, the activists, the lobbyists and the consultants over in Ireland to be able to change laws and change the policymakers' uh, mindset? So that's a great question, and I'm hoping that you can avoid some of our pitfalls. I think one of them is our lack of consistency. Uh, we have some states that require testing and some that don't, some that have certain mold levels and some that don't we are looking for more consistency. So in a country like Ireland, which is five and a half million people, you probably have a better chance at getting laws out that are consistent. Um, even all the scientific community here, I, I just gave a speech last week at the Quality Cannabis, Cannabis Quality Conference, and all the scientists were saying, we need standards, we need normalization, and we need consistency. So I think if you're going from the medical um, adult use, you know, and, and I believe can all cannabis is medicine. So I start from that point of view. So whether you're going medical or adult use, I think you really have to tell your legislators how well it works using all the studies. And we have many of them here in the United States. I know some uh, entities like Johns Hopkins are even doing research. But one of the ways we've done it is we've brought people who have been affected by the war on drugs to testify. We've brought Native Americans in to discuss, for example, in Connecticut and Montana, how they use their medication and how this is a right. We also, I'm a, 
uh, veterans, adv veterans advocates. So I bring veterans in to tell their stories of how, for example, they had a traumatic brain injury or they are missing a limb and how they got on opioids and it destroyed their life or their friends have died or committed suicide from it. So we say, let's use CBD and THC first. When we bring our veterans into our legislators to talk, that is incredibly impactful because you're not just bringing in some stoner off the street. You're bringing in a person who's served their nation, had an injury and doesn't want to go on a pharmaceutical and, and they listen to that. Um, another thing I think that's really worked here is, for example, just in Connecticut, very puritanical state, you know, very still very old fashioned. We had a meeting in Norwalk, Connecticut a couple of weeks ago and person after person got up speaking about labeling and how things look like candy for kids and that people sell outside their church and outside their schools. And one of the great responses that one of the gentlemen on the zoning commission had is, yes, we know that's happening. And if we make this legal and get people out of the illegitimate market, they'll come into legitimate market and they won't be selling over in front of your churches and stores because they won't need to. And if they do, we can bust them. And in terms of labeling, Connecticut has extremely strict labeling. Labeling, You can't do anything that looks like candy. We don't have edibles here yet anyway. We have cookies, brownies, and tea bags, for example, which Bigelow Tea, a very conservative entity, is making. So what we've tried to do is show legislators the impact it has on veterans, the economic impact the taxation can bring. I mean, in Massachusetts, they had more taxes from cannabis than alcohol in the first quarter of last year, which is huge for a very Irish-centric city. And so there are, are just so many advantages to legalizing, not just the Republican arguments here in this country for taxation and uh, standardization, but also the more humane or democratic viewpoint, which is we've got people sitting in prisons, which is we have a private prison complex here. And so it's not in the best interest of the owners of those prisons to release prisoners, but we have people in prison literally for 30 years for two joints for less than half an ounce, for 12 grams, for four grams, serving 30 years. So when we go to our legislators, we say, is that the best use of our resources? Why are we imprisoning people and breaking up families? Um, Joe Biden just made a fairly toothless executive order saying, we're going to free all the low uh, level prisoners for cannabis. Well, there aren't any. That's that's there just aren't any. So that announcement got people fired up, but it just had no teeth. It's not going to let anyone out of prison. We have to go to a higher level. So in talking to legislators, I think you have to bring the humane point of view. And I think you have to bring the economic point of view. And then you bring in the medical side because we have uh, Jordan Tischler's a doctor from Harvard who's doing study after study showing how it's helping veterans, how it's helping cancer patients, how even, even it's attacking the lipids that cause cancer. So if you bring all these facets to legislators and then bring individuals who have been impacted by the war on drugs, who served time or who lost their businesses, they seem to listen. Those personal stories, the the data that you give them, it, it's been working here. And, and particularly on the progressive East Coast, it's really worked. And it's happened sooner than we thought as a result. Absolutely amazing wealth of information. I've been taking notes as you were speaking there. So I hope the rest of the Irish viewers and the rest of the European viewers take stock from all the wise wisdom that we've got from you today. The time is up for now, but hopefully we get to chat again in a number of months and we'll be able to do part two to this and uh, see how quickly Ireland has moved along. And I know if you come to Ireland next June, you, uh, you'll be taken out on the town for sure.
Thank you so much. Appreciate you. I love the podcast and thank you for this time. Happy to help. Thank you very much. Until next episode, everybody. Thank you.